Leading up to Easter, we're going to be doing this series entitled Lost, and it's going to be uh, concluded on that day. And really what we're going to begin to look at is the redemptive nature of God and how God redeems his people. God redeems us from situations. Uh, God redeems us from circumstances. And most importantly, come on, somebody, he redeemed us from our sin. Is anybody excited about that? I know I am. And, uh, and so we're going to be looking at that, and we're going to be looking at it a little bit differently today, but as I was gone with my wife at this conference, I believe the Holy Spirit just clearly spoke to me, and I want to share that with you today. So you're in Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to turn to Luke uh, 19, verse 10. And in Luke 19, verse 10, it says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and and save the lost. Man, just that, that verse right there is so powerful. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now I'm going to go over to Isaiah 42. I want to read you this verse. And maybe I, one time this described you, or maybe it describes you today. But in Isaiah 42, verse 3, it says this, A bruised reed he will not break. You ever felt bruised before? You ever felt like you're on the verge of breaking? A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now Genesis chapter 11, read this to you, and then we'll... Get going with what God has for us today. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27. I'm going to read you a story about a man named Terah, who most of you may not have heard of before, but you all heard of his son, Abram, who later became Abraham. You all ever heard of Abram? Abraham? Okay. Yeah, I think if you've been around church long enough or you've been in your Bible long enough that you've, you've probably heard of Abram or Abraham as he gets named later on. Uh, but not too many of us know of his father, and there's a reason why, and we want to look at that today. Verse 27, Genesis chapter 11. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah. And the name of Nahor's, uh, excuse me, the name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Verse 31. Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But, everybody say but. But when they came to Haran, the same name, the child that died, whether it was named after, whether it was named before, stay with me here. They settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in 
Haran. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that, Lord, you would speak to us from your word. The Holy Spirit, you would speak inside of us. God, I pray for those, Lord God, that feel bruised today, that, God, you would come, Lord God, and you would heal. Lord, I pray for those today that, that God, they feel like that fire, that their wick is burning out, that, God, today you would come and you'd rekindle that flame and that passion for you. Lord, I pray for those, Lord God, that are just uh, hurting in some area of their life. God, we thank you that you're the redeemer, that you're the one that comes and seeks and saves the lost. So Lord, I pray though whether we don't know, those that don't know you yet, that today they would come to know you. Lord, I thank you for those four or five that in the midst of worship said, I want to get right with God because you came to seek and save the lost. Lord, I pray for those believers that are here today that maybe feel lost in their circumstances, lost in their trials, and lost in their stuff, that Lord, you would come, you would stretch out your hand, and you would pull them up in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. How many of you guys have ever lost something before? Okay, your mind, your wallet, something. You've, you've lost something before. I think all of us could probably relate to losing something. Uh, you know, most of the time it's something that we use every day. Uh, you're hurrying out, you know, to go somewhere and you look around and you can't find your car keys. You know, you lost your car keys. Uh, I don't have that problem because uh, we have a valet service where we live. And, uh, and sometimes they ask me, you just want to keep the keys? I was like, no, you keep them because I might lose them. You all with me? So, so they have my keys there. Or maybe you're running out in a hurry and you lose your wallet. You know, you can't find your wallet. You're looking all over. Now, I- I've done those things before for my wife right now. It's her glasses. And, uh, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with her. I'm helping her keep track of those glasses. I'm thinking about getting those little things that go on them. So she needs to just hang them. Right. <laughs> just kidding. Where are they at? They're right there, baby. Just, you know. And so, you know, you lose things. Now, for me, there was a season uh, of life where I would lose my tooth all the time. Now, let me explain. Uh, right after my wife and I got married, um, just a couple months afterwards, I was playing basketball at Athletic Center, and, and we're playing, and uh, I got my tooth knocked out. Actually, half of it got knocked out, but I had to go and have emergency surgery and have that extracted. Some of you heard that story before. Um, but I didn't have enough money to get an implant. And, uh, you know, we just got married. It wasn't like dental insurance ever looks good, but especially at that time. And, and so, you know, it just went. So they made this thing called a flipper. And, uh, and it just, it literally sticks inside your mouth. And it's got like a fake roof of mouth on there. And your whole roof of your mouth is all plastic. And once it's in, it looks awesome. But guys, just tell you something, it's uncomfortable, all right? And so for five years, I had this thing called the flipper. So for five years, okay, while all of you are checking for your keys and your wallet, I'm looking all over for my tooth before I leave the house. Come on, somebody. That's a true story. And I mean, I don't know what it was. I could find my keys. I could find my wallet. But for some reason, that darn tooth, man, I could not find that thing. And, you know, because I didn't want to sleep in it. Because I honestly, I feel like sometimes I'll fall asleep and I'll wake up freaking out thinking if I, I swallowed that thing. Come on, somebody. So I make sure I took it out and just set it somewhere. And, <laughs> you know, you think I'd take better care of my tooth, but I'll just set it somewhere. The nightstand, the kitchen counter, the bathroom counter, it don't matter, back of the toilet. Come on, somebody. So, it's, and so, you know, I'd have to find this thing. And I'm telling you, that was just the biggest pain. And so literally before we're leaving the house, like, babe, where's my tooth, you know? And so she'd help me find it. We'd brush it off, cleaned up, and slap that thing in. And I was on my way, okay? It was a great, great season of life. I remember I was at a camp one time, and it was actually our first camp, and we took, uh, we took a bunch of young people. We had just moved here and started the youth ministry at a church we helped start in Rancho Bernardo, and uh, we took the youth back to Seattle where we came from for a, a youth camp, and, um, and so all these parents had entrusted their children to me. Not a smart move, but 
they did. And so we took about 14 young people to Seattle for this, this youth camp. And, and, uh, and so I, we got this uh, one young lady, she's about 13 years old, and she has these retainers. And I've never had retainers, but she would take them out, obviously, when she would eat. And so one morning, um, she came running up to me frantic after breakfast. She's like, Pastor Ben, Pastor Ben. I'm like, what? I thought something horrible had happened. She's like, I lost my retainer. I'm like, well, how much do those things cost? You know? She said, my parents are going to kill me, you know? And I was like, okay, well, where did you leave it at? And she was like, I left it at the peanut butter and jelly station. <laughs> you know? So you can get cereal, pancakes, eggs, or peanut butter and jelly. And so I was like, okay, what did you do? And she goes, all I remember is I remember putting it inside a napkin and wadding up the napkin and setting it down. And so uh, instantly I'm thinking, well, someone thought it was garbage and threw it away. And I was like, you know, and I'm, I'm not about ready to call her parents to let them know, hey, how much are those things? You have to buy a new one. She's like, Pastor Ben, we have to go look for it. I went over to the table. I looked, there's no napkin. She's like, no, I think it got thrown away. And I said, so do I. And I saw the camp breakfast this morning. I ain't digging through the dumpster. Come on, somebody, you know. But I saw the look on her face, and I knew that the parents had entrusted their child to me. And so I looked at my wife and said, babe, I'm, I'm going dumpster diving. So sure enough, we went out there. I'm telling you right now, the whole way out there, I'm praying. I'm saying, God, let it be in the first bag we pull out, please. So we open up the bags, and there's the runny camp eggs. Come on, somebody. The peanut butter and jelly, the pancakes, the syrup, just garbage. And I'm just like, are you kidding? I open it up, and I'm just looking. And this is one of like 15 garbage bags in there. And I'm just like, God, help me. I, I love people, but I don't love them that much. Come on, somebody. You know? And so, uh, so sure enough, we start digging through the runny eggs and all this stuff. And, and uh, the first bag we dig into, toward about halfway in, there's this napkin. And I don't know if it was the actual napkin or God did a miracle. Come on, somebody. But I was like, Lord, let that be the napkin. I reached in all that junk, man, and I pulled that thing out. We opened it up. Come on. And there was the retainer right there. And so I was happy. She was happy. She gave me a big hug. And she was like, thank you. You're the best youth pastor ever. And I said, you're right. I am. <laughs> And we found that thing. You know what? Sometimes I think that's a picture of what Jesus is doing in our life. That he looks down and sometimes maybe, maybe we're lost in some stuff or we're lost in some circumstance or, or maybe we don't even know Jesus and we're really lost. We would have been in like the 15th bag. Come on, somebody. But he digs through the stuff in our life and all the junk that surrounds us and he reaches down. Why? Because the Bible says there is a treasure hidden inside earthen vessels. Why would God bankrupt heaven with his son Jesus and come to earth in the likeness of man? Man, he left it all behind. Here he is, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He came to seek and save the lost. Are you with me? See, a lot of people, when they tell their testimony, and, and, and trust me, all testimonies are powerful, but, but some people highlight all the bad stuff that happened in their life leading up to when Jesus entered. And then Jesus entered, and it's like, and here I am. But can I tell you something today? Jesus Christ did not die on the cross because your life was that bad. He died on the cross because your future is that great. And there is a treasure hidden inside of you. And he said, wow, that's worth redeeming. Are you with me this morning? Hmm. You got a great future. He's got a great plan for your life. And he didn't die on the cross because, oh, you were a drug addict. Oh, you were doing that. No, he died on the cross. He came to seek and save the lost because he said, wow, man, you one day are going to be the light of the world. You one day are going to be salt of the earth. And that's worth dying for. That's right. I felt like Jesus at that moment. Come on, somebody. Digging through some trash. Helping this young lady find this. 
Today I want to talk to you as we start this series entitled Lost. I want to talk to you this morning about the redeeming power of Jesus. And I want to talk to you in regards to this way that I believe one of the greatest things that God is redeeming through his son Jesus is relationship. That he's redeeming relationship. All the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see this common theme that, 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 that God in the Old Testament, what's he doing? He's, he's bringing a nation together to have a relationship with him. And the prophets would come, and, and what were they doing? They were trying to restore that relationship between God and his people. In the New Testament, we see Jesus. And the very reason why Jesus died on the cross was because our sin had severed our relationship with God. He's into redeeming relationships. He's into restoring relationships. We see in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, when God comes to walk with them, and they were hiding, from them, hiding themselves because they were naked, the Bible says. They were hiding themselves from God. They separated themselves from God. And God does a work. God establishes a covenant and redeems the relationship. He's into redeeming relationships. We see in Genesis 32 through 33, when Jacob and Esau, who had been separated from one another because of Jacob's deception, and we see in Genesis 32 and 33 that God reunites them. Why? Because he's into redeeming relationship. See, Jesus dying on the cross because our relationship with God was severed. Malachi begins to prophesy in verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, that there's going to come a day when the hearts of the fathers will be turned back to the children and the hearts of the children be turned back to the Father. Luke 1.17 highlights this fact again. What is it saying? It's saying this, that God, through his son Jesus, is into redeeming and restoring relationships. Why relationships? Why is there this picture throughout the Bible? Well, not only is God doing it through his son Jesus and, and reuniting us to him, but ladies and gentlemen, as you look back in your life, that the majority of the pain in your past and the majority of the pain you're encountering now and the majority of the pain you'll encounter in your future has to deal with relationships. It doesn't matter if someone stole, someone stole something from you. And as bad as you want that thing back, you want to slap that person as well. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter if someone could have cheated on you, someone committed adultery, so, someone, someone, someone in fornication. All of that involves people, relationships. So God is into redeeming relationships. The greatest wounds in our life are relational wounds. The greatest wounds in our life are relational wounds. Something someone did to you, or maybe something you did to someone. Relational wounds. Or maybe it's the fact that they didn't do anything to you, or you didn't do something, but here's one. Something someone said to you. Words are powerful. So the Bible says you're going to give an account for every idle word you speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those that love will eat of its fruit. Words are powerful. With one word, God began to create the universe. Words are powerful. Your words are powerful. Something someone once said to you, or, or maybe it's, it's, it's we lost someone. But all of these go back to relational scars, relational pains, or if you would, according to Isaiah, bruises in our life. And they try to, they try to put out the flame, the passion. And so we find ourselves lost 
in between where we started and to where God intends us to be because of relational wounds. For me, man, I grew up in a great family. I have great parents. Now I have a great wife and I have two beautiful children. God has blessed us. I don't have necessarily things that someone did to me, but I do have this thing, that, that words that have been spoken over my life. And that's been a common, common one in my life, and my wife knows that I just love it when she says she loves me. She just speaks those words, you know? I love you too. But man, I remember, I remember when I was little, and this will probably be funny, and it's funny to me looking back now too, but when I was little, um, I was probably about eight years old, and the fact that I still remember it tells you how powerful words are and, and how powerful those words play into relational wounds. But I didn't even know the lady, but I was with my mom, and uh, we pulled up, we're on Woodby Island, we pulled up to the bank. My mom was making a, making a transaction, doing a deposit, and we pulled up, and I was sitting, you know, I don't know if I was, I think I was sitting in the back seat, and, and all of a sudden I remember this lady looked down with her bright red lipstick on and her 80s hairdo, come on somebody. And she looked down, and she looked at my mom, and she looked back at me with this big smile on her face. She looked like Marge Simpson. I still remember. She looked back, she goes, would your little girl like a sucker? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You laugh about it now. Now, years of counseling have gone by, and I'm okay. I can look back and laugh now, but I'll be honest with you. For years of my life, I was self-conscious about my body. You laugh now, but I'm just being honest with you. It's okay, you can laugh now, jerks. But I was self-conscious. I was like, what, you know? And I might have been a little chunky when I was eight, okay? But the haircut should have said something different, okay? Mom was taking me for haircuts back then, but we'll talk later. <laughs> that word that was spoken, man, for years. It's made for some great sermon analogies, though, to be honest with you. Words. Relational wounds. Things that, that we encounter and they hurt. I remember actually not even that long ago. The last job I was at, and can I just be honest with you? I wish we could say that, yeah, man, the world is vicious. Can I say something, man? Christians are some of the most vicious people with their words. Before you agree too much, you better remember you is a Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Now I remember sitting in this meeting and talking about some things. My mom remembers because I called her that same day. I said, Mom, I just don't get it. I remember talking through some of that stuff and, and I'm looking at what I see and God's blessing this, but yet someone with the power and the authority over my life to speak this negative thing into me, it didn't matter what I saw, this was being said and, and now I begin to have this relational wound and now that began to play more into my future. I remember one time walking in to my desk at my office and I remember having these stacks of papers there and I, I didn't know what they were and I picked them up and I started to read them and my boss said I'd brought a consultant in and, it was, and the consultant had gone through all these areas. One of the areas they wanted to talk about was the youth ministries. And this is the line I read. I don't think that Ben is cutting it anymore as a youth pastor, and the youth do not have the passion they need. Read that. That had never been told to me, reading it for the first time. 
You know what I love about Urban Church? We, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't pretend to be perfect. I love my wife up here sharing her testimony. I have an abortion in my past. How many pastors would stand up here? We want, we want to sweep that stuff under the rug so they respect you and they, they honor you and they, we just want to be real. <laughs> we just want to be real. I remember I read this stuff and I was so perplexed because no one, he, my boss had never told me any of this. I'm reading it for the first time. I remember taking these papers and I went to the executive pastor. I said, hey, are these supposed to be on my desk? Did you all get one of these? He grabbed it and looked at it and he's like, oh, I don't think you were supposed to see that. So <laughs> uh, then the wheels start turning. Why, why have I never heard that before? Man, and, and, and from that moment on, it created this, this relational wound. Things just got awkward from there. Relational wounds. Relational wounds are, are deadly. There's a reason why the Bible focuses on relationship so much. Genesis 11, 27 through 32. Here we see, as we wrap it up, here we see a relational wound take place. Here is Terah, and the Bible says that Terah has three sons. And now the sons are having sons, but now the youngest one, the youngest one, Haran, the Bible says that he dies, and obviously we know he dies prematurely because the older brothers are living. It doesn't say how he dies, but he's the youngest, and the oldest are alive, and he's dead, and so we know this, that, that he dies prematurely. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced pain like that. I've experienced the death of someone I love. Although I have not experienced the death of someone I, that, 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 that has been died prematurely that I love. I know the pain of losing my father just two years ago, and that pain, I can't imagine if, if it was something that was to happen to one of my daughters, it's premature. And so now, now we know that, that it wasn't supposed to be like this, but Haran's gone, the youngest. He's gone. If we rewind in the passage, we see this, that in this same story, it's the Tower of Babel, and God comes down, and he's dispersing everybody across the earth. So now in the midst of this, he loses his youngest son. There's pain there. They pick up. And they're going to leave, and they're going to go from Ur to Canaan. This is the goal. We have to assume this, that because God is the one dispersing them, that God is the one speaking to Terah to leave. In other words, he's saying, Terah, I want you to pick up your family. I want you to leave Ur, and I want you to go to Canaan. This is my will for your life. This is what I want you to do. This is where you're going. This is your destiny. This is your promise. That's the place I want you to go set up camp. That's the place I want you to be. And now Haran dies, they pick up, they leave. And as they're on their journey, the Bible says they get to Haran. And in Haran, they decide to stop. And they stop in what we could look at today as the greatest relational wound that Terah has experienced. Haran, son died, Terah gets stuck in Haran. What about you today? What, what things in your life, what relational wounds do you have that are holding you back? From a parent? From a pastor? From an employer? From an employee? Brother? Sister? Maybe just someone as you're driving through the bank. What, what, what relational wounds do you have Terah has one. And the Bible says that as they're on their way, 
as he's on his journey, going from where they were to where God wants them to be, they get stuck in Haran. They get stuck in the greatest relational wound of their life. You know, our journey through life, God has a plan for us. Things happen. Stuff happens. Wounds happen. Bruises happen. And they get us to stop. And now, like Terah, somewhere between Ur and Canaan, we found ourselves lost. Unable to move forward because of the pain in our life. Because of the bruise in our life. Because of the circumstance that happened. God wants you from here to there, but something happened, and now we're stuck somewhere in between. We're lost. Are you with me this morning? Unable to fulfill our dream, unable to fulfill our potential, unable to get to the destiny, the place that God has for us. I believe that God wanted Terah to make it all the way there. Who knows? Maybe it could have been the God of our father, Terah, Abraham. Are you with me? But because he got stopped, because he got trapped in this pain, this relational wound, Abraham had to pick up, move on from where he died. In his pain, his hurt, his weakness, his helplessness. Let me give you three things real quickly. Relational wounds or bruises will, number one, keep you from reaching your potential and your promise. Relational wounds will keep you from reaching your promise and your potential. Relational wounds, whether, whether it's a dad, a mom, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, something happened and there's that hurt that'll keep you from reaching your potential, keep you from getting to the destiny and the place. We see it right here. It kept them from reaching Canaan, the promised land. Why? Why does it keep us from that? Because what happens, ladies and gentlemen, is this, is we get stuck there. And I'm probably the guilty of this, and we rehash the circumstance. We talk about it. We relive it. Anybody new in our life, we talk to them. Oh, yeah, you want to know what happened to me 14 years ago? <laughs> we want to talk about it. We relive it. Yeah, because it's a part of who we are, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it's part. But let me tell you something. If you don't let go and you don't get it covered and you don't move on, it'll keep you from, are you with me this morning, from entering the promise that God has for you. I'm reminded of 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning of a woman called a Shunammite woman. And the Shunammite woman, here's a woman that lost her one and only child, dead. She picks up, she goes to the man of God to see if she can have her, have her boy back and see if he can raise her from the dead. And on her way, Three times, people come and say, hey, what's going on? You know her response was? It is well. It is well. It is well. She did not stop to rehash the, 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 the relational wound that was in her life. She did not stop to relive it. She just kept moving on and said, I'm going to someone that can help me. I'm going to someone that can heal me. I'm going to, are you with me this morning? You're stuck there because you keep reliving it. Oh, yeah, I remember 30 years ago, there was a woman at a bank drive through It'll keep you, as it did Tara, from realizing the full potential 
and the greatest potential of your life? What relational wound is holding you back today? What are you rehashing? What are you reliving? It's holding you back. Number two, relational wounds. Number two, pollute other relationships in your life. They pollute other relationships in your life. That's why when, when after Terah had died, God approached Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to pick up and I want you to leave behind your father's stuff. I want you to leave behind your father's household, all of them, and I want you to go to Canaan. The promise is still there. The potential is still there. The destiny is still there. But here's what you have to do, Abraham. You have to leave behind your father's stuff. Just, just fast forward in the story. Go to Genesis chapter 12 and you'll read it. Abraham, leave behind of your father's stuff. Leave it behind and go to the place that I want you to go. Not only that, oftentimes we hold others back, but not only that, oftentimes we view others in a wrong light because of the relational wound in our life. That's why, that's why, honestly, that's why parenting is so crucial. Hmm. That's why being a good dad, I have two daughters, two gorgeous daughters. I take them on dates, six and eight. And I don't just take them to McDonald's. Sometimes I do because they love it. But I take them to nice restaurants because I want them to know how they should be treated. When some man comes along just like, hey, you want to go to a movie and Krispy Kreme donuts? <laughs> Take my, my daughters to Greystone Steakhouse. You're going to pull out the chair for them. You're going to slide the chair in. And if you lay a hand on them, I'm going to slap you silly. Come on, somebody. God, I'm glad God gave me girls because I got boys. I, boys are evil, I know. I ought to lock them up till they're 30. I wouldn't have been telling the story of Rapunzel, Rapunzel let down your hair. <laughs> Two boys locked up in the dungeon. Tell their hormones get under control. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Parenting's crucial. Parenting's crucial. You know you, got, you know you got so many women running around looking for affection because they didn't have a dad in their life. Let me tell you something. If you're, if you're a single mom, Raising a daughter, find a spiritual dad in this church. So when that young lady grows up, she knows what to look for in a man. Are you with me today? Pollutes. Relational wounds, man, they pollute. Other relationships. Lastly, number three, relational wounds will destroy your relationship with God. Relational wounds will destroy your relationship with God. With God. Matthew 22, they approach Jesus and say, Jesus, Jesus what's, what's the greatest commandment? Oh, the greatest commandment? There's actually, there's actually two and they're linked. Greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. So everything you have, love God. And they would have loved if he would have stopped there. But he said the second one is just like it. And it's love your neighbor as yourself. You mean I can't just do one? No, you got to do them both. What does God say? God's saying this through Jesus. He says this, that in order to love me, you've got to love people. 
But in order to love people, you gotta love me. I dare say if you're not loving people, you probably don't love God. Because the greatest heartbeat of God is people. That's why he came to seek and save the lost. If you, there's the reality of it all. If you have a relational issue with people, it's probably because you got a relational issue with God. Because here's the reality of it. If you still have a relational wound inside of you, you haven't settled it at the cross of Jesus. You haven't let it go. Past, man, it's gone. Yesterday's gone. Behold, all things have become new. Oh, except for the lady at the bank. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that relational wounds aren't, aren't easy to overcome, and it can, it can take some time. But I guarantee you, the more counseling you get, the more time you spend with him, hmm, he's got something great for you. Tara's on his journey, destiny. Youngest dies, he comes to Haran. He gets stuck in that relational wound, never seeing the promise. God raised up Abram to go into the promise, to get to the promise. Can I tell you something today? If you're bruised, if you feel like that wick that's going out, the Bible says in Isaiah 42, 3, he will not break the bruise, no quench the wick that's burning out, but he'll bring justice. And how, how, how did he bring justice? He brought justice through his son Jesus who died on the cross to redeem the lost, to redeem not just those that, that haven't said yes to him yet, but to redeem you and your relational wound and the thing that's keeping you back. He came just like I did looking for that, looking for that retainer, digging through the trash, saying, okay, we're gonna find this thing. He is coming right now by, by, by the grace of God into your life and digging through some relational trash and saying, I have found you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for you. I can redeem this situation if you would just give it to me. If you would just let it go. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to let it go. God has done a work in me. And although there are times when I still try to rehash those papers that I found on the desk, although there are times that I remember some things, God is doing a work inside of me. A matter of fact, this last week, I saw the pastor that had said those things about me, and there was something inside of me. I looked over at my wife. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go find that pastor. I'm going to look him in the eyes. I'm going to say hi to him, and I'm going to wrap my arms around him and hug him, even if he doesn't want to hug. So I searched him out. I went all the way down, found him. I said, hi. I grabbed him. He tried to do one of the little side hugs. I said, uh-uh, and I pulled him in. <laughs> Might have squeezed him a little too hard, but that's all right. He's still breathing? No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. God did something to me this last week. Came back and had a great leaders meeting. Ten of our leaders. Friday night, got reports, this is, the best, this is the best leaders meeting we had. It was nothing I said, but, but God did something inside of me in the last five days. Dug something deep. I believe this with all my heart, that if you allow the Holy Spirit today, he will come and he will heal those relational wounds in your life. And you will see a far better future, because right now you're stuck in Haran. And every morning when you wake up, you're reminded of that relational wound. You're reminded of Haran. 
You're reminded of how bad your dad was. You're reminded of how bad your mom was. You're reminded of that one person, that one thing, that person that said, God's saying, I want you to get up by the grace of God. And I want you to move forward. And I want you to head in to the promise that I have for you. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is absolutely fantastic. God, your word is amazing. Do me a favor, close your eyes. Bow your heads. God has got to do something in you before he can do something through you. And today I believe with all my heart that everyone can relate to this message. Some of you have already overcome it. Praise Jesus. Some of you are still going through it. And some of you are just heading into it. But by the grace of God, you can get out of Haran and you can get to the promise that he has for you. Listen to me as your eyes are closed and your head is bowed. Sometimes you can go to those people and you can ask for forgiveness. Sometimes you don't need to do that and you just need to leave it and by the grace of God walk away from it.